0: Thanks for listening to the Stimulate Run podcast. If you like what you hear, remember to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. If you would like to get in touch or have future guest suggestions, please make contact via email or slide into DMs on any of the social channels. Here's your host, Erwin, with this episode's guest. All right, everybody. Real treat again for you on the Stimulate Run podcast. So on this episode, we have 11-time City to Surf winner, the man who held state records across multiple distances, world cross attendee, world champ attendee, 213 marathoner, which was actually an Olympic qualifier, highly accomplished educator, and to show he won WA Principal of the Year in 2014. Welcome to the Stimulate Run podcast, Ray Boyd.
1: Welcome, Erwin. We finally caught up, mate. I know we've been bumping into each other and dodging. And I actually (laughs) let you down. I missed one. I missed your call last year. So I do apologize for that. But. You've obviously persevered, so it's great to be here with the crew.
0: I think we're, um, we are we said we'll call it even because I think I said, <laughs> yeah, let's go ahead. And then I didn't get back to you. And so we said, right, well, let's just call it even and we're good to go. So <laughs> yeah. uh, really excited about this because I think even recent exposure and, you know, really getting out to the hills and, you know, feeling that history and hearing the stories. So um, I really want to bring that to the listener uh, and, you know, just some of your learnings would be great. Career-wise and how you've tied that all together. But before we start unpacking, let's go right to the start. Let's, you know, who is Ray Boyd and where did your interest in running come along?
1: Uh well, that's a, actually an awesome question. Um I started I actually started in other sports. You know, I've I've did cricket, I did soccer, played soccer for many years, warmed the bench for many years is probably a better statement around soccer. Um, <laughs> At, but I always enjoyed the running aspect of it. Uh, I, did, I did little athletics in my final year of year seven. And um, I joke about that because the girl I used to date, Amanda Bishop, did athletics. So I thought if I go to little athletics, I can catch up with Amanda. And that's, that's actually where my first connection um, came with athletics for little A's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to compete. Where would you compete? Over behind Hampton Primary School. So we ran over there. And then i got into high school i ran an inter-school event uh, as a year seven got got smashed ran from the front and ended up getting smashed but i went to morley senior high school and happened to bump into a lady called margaret harris who was the phys ed teacher over there she transferred into morley high at that that time and got into i got into athletics enjoyed doing it um, and we made a connection and really the drive from marg harris uh, or Mark Saunders, as everyone now knows her, uh, was probably the reason that I stay with athletics. But, but building on from that too, I've had some, I've bumped into some great people. Gary Pryor, who was technically my first coach uh, at Morley Swans or Sterling Swans back then, Morley Swans. Um, he he was a really positive guy. He's still around today. Really big in actually stay in West Australian basketball. Um, his son, um, Pryor, played with the Wildcats. So he's got Uh, strong connections there but and the the people that I bumped into were always so positive and it was a really good environment to be a part of and I guess nowadays you'd call me ADHD and athletics provided an opportunity for me to channel that energy into something where it, it depended on me if I put something in I got something back if I didn't work then I got nothing back from it so it taught me that concept of what you put in is what you get back um and then i just sort of ticked along. look i was nothing special i just enjoyed running um and again that cliche if you enjoy something and you do it often enough you may have the fortunate of becoming good at it and for me i eventually became good at it um i do joke though that a number there were a number of people around me who were probably potentially better but they didn't stay with the sport so I got that opportunity to shine because they'd left, but I, I loved the sport and I put more time into it. And because of that, it eventually paid off. But I know uh, my first experiences with the sport weren't positive in terms of finishing places. I was just, I made up numbers. Mm-hmm. I know the very first city the surf I ever did as a 13 year old, I couldn't walk for a week and a half later. Um, that probably comes with training twice in the lead up to it. my first national event that I made, uh, I scraped into the state team. We went to state school boys. Um, Marg was really big on that at Morley Senior High School where I went. I just scraped into the team because someone pulled out and then I went to my first nationals and finished dead stone, dead last. Um, So my experiences weren't overly positive, but I just love the fact that you could run. Um, And because of that, I think the rest sort of flowed on.
0: But then you went on and won it as an 18-year-old, right?
1: Yeah, because <laughs> what tends to happen in my head is I go, you know what? I reckon I could win this one day <laughs> and then yeah. you work towards it. So, yeah, I, I did. I um, I think, I, what was it? I mean, obviously, let's put this in perspective too. It, what's 40,000, 50,000 people now in its heyday. There weren't that many people in the event we might've had three or 4,000. So if you put it into perspective, there weren't the fields that you had now that we had back then. Yep. But yeah, look, I, I think it was uh 375th, 75th, seventh, and then first.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, it's going to, I've got a question about hard work and talent later on. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that one, Yeah. Um, because I, I dare say that shows what your potential answer might be, but we won't, we won't go there yet. Okay. Um, How were you as a youngster in terms of taking feedback on? So you get a lot of people now who go, oh, I want a coach, going to get a coach, but then don't actually really sell out to that plan that the coach gives. What type of athlete were you and how did that change over
1: time? Look, I essentially was a huge sponge. If, if, um, if Margaret had told me to do 700 push-ups, I would have quite happily done 700 push-ups. Um, I, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed when it came to, to training and those sorts of things. So I would go – I still remember I'd go down to Morley Senior High School first thing in the morning, 7 o'clock, we'd go down early and, and she was training the athletics team. And I wanted to run 1500s. That's what I wanted to be a 1500 metre runner. I go, Marg, I'm going to run, I want to run, you know, three 1500s today and we'll do it in, you know, sub five minutes, whatever it was. And she goes, okay, how about, how about we just, you do a 400 and then you do a 300. Oh yeah. Okay. No worries. So off I go and I do that. So, I mean, I, I took on board. It wasn't until in my later years that I started to go radio. Cause Marg was a jump back a Step two mug was always very good at saying here's what we're going to do and this is why we're doing it um and for me it's like okay oh, that makes sense no worries but as i got older because my knowledge built up around what we were doing um i would say okay can we try this and she'd go yeah that that sounds good we can do that i think the hardest problem for athletes nowadays and it wasn't so much, it wasn't so much it wasn't even an issue back then with social media uh, the connectivity we've got through facebook through the web through instagram through twitter there is so much information out there that people are just flooded by it now i didn't have access to that i had access to marg and that was it and the only other stuff we had was the fun runner magazine or running Mag, runners world um, or when i caught up with people in the eastern states outside that marg was the be all and end all so I didn't have, I wasn't flooded with that amount of information, but, you know, I was happy to take on board what she said. She was my coach and I, I put my trust in her.
0: And I think comparison as well, you know, you've, you're quite good to see on social media because, um, you know, when you were really getting back into it now, in say recently, there was no hiding that, you know, you haven't waited two years. And then you've now started posting things when you've, Really got back into it. You said you were struggling and you've made people aware. So, you know, that goes back to the whole showing the bad days, whereas social media seems to always be, you know,
1: rainbows and butterflies. <laughs> 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 there, there are no rainbows, as you would well know. There are no such thing as rainbows and butterflies in distance running. Yep. You might see one when you're out there. And, um, you, you know what? Some of your best runs you ever have are when there's no start line. And there's no medallion at the end of it. And you finish it and you go, Jesus, I wish that, I wish today was a race day, but yeah, look, I, what's the point? Well, it, no, if people should know the, it's hard work hmm. and you have your badge. I mean, I joke now I'm fit and fat. Well, uh, many years ago, I was fit and slim. So it's, I'm just, I'm moving an extra 20 kilos around and it's hard work. So there's people out there that might see that. Not that I post stuff to inspire people. I just post stuff because I'm nepotistic. I don't know. I just post stuff. <laughs> but <laughs> it's real. Like you're, you're showing,
0: yeah. you're I'm showing too. real. You know, like you are the everyday person, even though you've got that you've got an elite background. But where yep. you are right now, you're you're going through everything that people within your age group are going through, or yep. you have the choice to go through. So you're either going, yep. right, I'm going to try and turn things around, or stay where I am or I'm just going to let it take over and such is life. Yeah. So yeah. You're, very, you're showing that example, but also keeping it, you know, you're not airbrushing photos and it's, it's real oh life. My
1: gosh. Seriously. I'd <laughs> yeah. need a bit more than an airbrush. It'd be good Weird. fun to see
0: you try and do it <laughs> yeah. though. <That'd> be-
1: <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, if, if social media was around when I was a young kid, it would have been the same battles, except mm. this is me starting off and it's hard work. Oh, my first races I finished last. Uh, that's where you start. No, there's very few people. In fact, there's none. I challenge anyone to say, to say, yeah, I came out and I was great. But what it is, is you don't hear about the stories in the background. And they go, oh, this guy's come out of nowhere or this girl's coming." No, they haven't. They've been training in the background for years. Yeah. And now they've won an event and the media's grabbed hold of them. That, that's the truth of it. There's what very I, what few I, yeah. what I love stories about, overnight.
0: What I love about you and what you kind of do as well is, you know, like I mentioned, Rattles right are off the top. You you could be somebody who goes, I'm not going to ever run again because I don't want to have that blemish, let's call it, to my record. Whereas you go, well, that's my record and it's amazing, but now I'm forging a new record, and yeah. this is what I'm doing now because I want to make the rest of my life worthwhile, you know. And um, so that's definitely kudos to you for doing that because it sends such a great message, especially to men um, within that age group as
1: well. I mean, it's hard work. I would much rather sit around a campfire drinking beer. The bonus of running is I can keep a stable weight while I do both of those things. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Career-wise? To be honest, too, a a lot of the time when I was training, when I was younger, you didn't take the time to look around and smell the roses. Now that I'm an older runner, and I I do mean older and a lot slower, I actually take time to look at the – look at where i'm running I how good's king's park yeah. you look and you go wow what a-. And, and helena valley this is magnificent but you know when you're punching out 320 street you're too busy breathing
0: yeah yeah actually let's we were just saying uh, off air where i was talking about how we potentially could have supported people when you're in that situation of no be a bad influence instead of supporting their (laughs) endeavors um so we use the whole friday night party analogy or saturday night party where you know people would say oh don't go you're being soft and whereas in hindsight now when you're a bit older you would say no good on you mate like go home get a good sleep go to your long run um very similar type of thought isn't it uh we should have yeah but with hindsight comes maturity i suppose
1: oh and you know I, i often get asked you know do you have any regrets it's like i actually don't have regrets i have a few disappointments but i never have a regret because with every choice you make there's a consequence and if you didn't make certain choices then there wouldn't be certain outcomes for instance if i didn't do what i did i wouldn't be sitting here now Yep. Um, and, and that's not a regret that I made a certain choice. Yeah. There's, there's a disappointment that comes with making a choice because it may have meant I've missed something else, but it's never a regret. A regret it's like, oh, you know, what, why, why even bother? Mm. But those, <laughs> those parties, yeah, we had a simple rule. It didn't matter what you did the night before, as long as you were there for the training. Cause no one was interested. So we do those long runs. We'd go to parties. And it wasn't till the next day. Um, you're running, you know, you're out there for two and a half hours. And the first first hour and a half, it's far out. What a stupid idea. And the last half hour the run's good. So you start to learn after a while. But as you said, you don't have that support network. Most people go, you yeah, know, hang in there. But the guys I hung out with, they were all partying too. So, oh, yeah, okay, I'll stay. And then the next morning, you wake up and go, what was I thinking? Far out. This is just a grind. Or you vomit and throw up whatever you had the night before, and it's sort of two hours out in the middle of the bush. Um, Well, actually, on that, many years ago, when I ran the Bridges Fun Run, um, I went to a wedding. And this is where I found out Hungry Jacks does not sit well on your stomach. I went to a wedding. The wedding finished at about 2.30. I stopped and got Hungry Jacks at 3.00. Then we ran the bridges fun run and I, I was running, I was neck and neck with a chap called John Hamilton. He's a Kiwi. Um, And I I thought this, here comes the whopper here. It comes. And I, I threw up all over the footpath because back in those days, you'd come over the bridge and over the footpath, cover the footpath, worked really hard, ended up winning the race, but it it was really hard work. And, and I, uh, Gary Pryor, who was a former coach of mine, I've already mentioned him. He comes, he finishes the race and goes, Oh, some dirty bastard threw up on the bridge. (laughs) sorry mate that was me but it's those sorts of decisions you make as a younger athlete you would not make as an older athlete because yep. you know it's just not worth the grief um, but you know lesson learned great wedding though
0: yeah, yeah. and thats the thing is you also didn't uh, you had life experiences you got to go to weddings where you know I've heard of so many athletes even now in the lead-up to the Olympics where they didn't go to best friends 21st and weddings and you go yeah don't get me wrong that's total dedication to what you're doing but in 10 years time are you going to be sitting in that room by yourself because there's nobody around and that support network might be there but yeah it's it's a balance isn't it
1: and look that's a really good point you make erwin for me running was a part of my life it wasn't my whole life so and this comes back to the regret and disappointment. I know if I'd made other decisions, I may have made an Olympic team rather than qualified twice, but that's the decision I made because one, I liked being in Perth. I liked hanging with my mates. I liked going to the beach. Running wasn't the be all and end or it was just mm. something I did. And I mean, yeah, don't get me wrong. There were sacrifices i made along the way, but it wasn't like I'm going to be a monk and running's it. Now, yes, that may have cost me certain achievements, etc., etc. But at the end of the day, I had great fun running. Yeah. I got to meet amazing people. I'm getting to talk to you today. It hasn't changed. But yeah, I missed two Olympic games. Oh well. And who's know, to say it actually? Not a regret.
0: Who's to say that would have unfolded anyway? Because living that lifestyle yeah. might not have agreed with you.
1: That's exactly right. you know, Could could I have been a professional athlete? No way. What it'd kill you. Yeah. What do you do for the rest of the day? And, and I'm not begrudging anyone who does good on them that's their decision they make and I, and like you said kudos well done for that commitment but i just don't think i had that in me
0: yeah all right well let's talk uh, career then so you became a professional educator let's say and um really excelled obviously you know, winning principal of the year but i have heard you say that um it does take a, a massive and amazing team around you and um you're the leader of that team but you don't just get an award like that um off the cuff so how did you make that choice and like i said or fair it's a calling so how did this all come about to become a teacher
1: yeah well the 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 teaching initially came about purely and simply because i initially i wanted to be an architectural draftsman my father's an architectural draftsman and i said you know what that's my care. and then dad's dad said mate just because i'm an architectural draftsman you don't have to... oh okay cool all right what else can i do all right <laughs> teaching looks like a bet, not a bad gig i'll get into teaching get into phys ed um and then, then I, I went through high school i bombed out in year 12 so i repeated year 12 got back in got the grades got into got into what back was known back then as west australian college of advanced education um, and teaching was a great gig as an athlete it's like how good is this gig i get i get 10 weeks or back then it was it was um 13 weeks, but I get 10 weeks, two week break, 10 weeks. And then I get Christmas off, which is the summer competition. Yeah. Now that's great. That was an initial Ooh, yeah, but you don't stay in the profession if that's your driver, because it, no. it just sucks your soul out. Um, so i i enjoyed teaching but running was the the my main emphasis there and then eventually as my career as i had kids as my career started to go there's a left-hand turn you got kids sports a very selfish thing if you want to be good at it Um, it's great that i've got a girlfriend who's now my wife i've got a girlfriend we don't have kids she's happy for me to go out but now we've got kids and i'm still going out and i'm left with the kids and that's going to cause me grief when i get home so i started to put more emphasis into teaching i missed the 2000 um olympic games which it's it, that was soul destroying that that absolutely gutted me um, and then i made a move into uh, into the administration role dr mcneil out at ellenbrook primary school picked me up through merit selection as a deputy and that's where i started to put the energy that i had into running into my teaching career uh, I was still running, but not as much as I, as I was. So I enjoyed that leading people that led into um, de- into other deputy position and then into principal's position and then gone on from there. So I got into teaching. I actually prefer to be remembered for what I'm doing in education because it has more of an influence on people than what I did mm-hmm. as a runner. I mean, runner, people go, oh, that's, oh wow, that's a bit inspiring. Whereas me, teaching, a yeah. little bit different, as you well know.
0: Yeah, it is a matter. I actually heard this on the radio this morning. Um, you know, people were, and that always happens from the outside when people question, uh, you know, pay scales of teachers and nurses and uh, in comparison to accountants and doctors. And we can be yeah. here for a whole other podcast on that. But,
1: um,
0: yeah, when you actually break it down and you do get an eye behind the curtain, um, I think people get a real quick, um, sharp look to see, you know, the real... Uh, the value that a teacher has on um life and not just from the one year that they spend with them but for the rest of their lives
1: yeah spot on i mean it it is a calling and you and i have have, have spoke about that off air it it is definitely a calling you will not survive if you actually don't have a genuine passion for it and look don't get me wrong the money's good yeah there's the money's better in elsewhere too but it's a lifestyle i love teaching i get to i get to influence kids i get to have an impact on their life um the flip side of that is i get to spend my holidays with my own kids but the negative that is with that is my boys know that for 10 weeks of the year 10 weeks of the term they don't see me Um, and of the two weeks they might we might spend one there because i'm winding down or whatever it is but it 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 definitely it is a lifestyle choice um i still get to do my my running career and as an athlete teaching was a wonderful conduit for that we had holidays put in there what what a lot of people don't realize is as a as an athlete who made um if you made an olympic team the that was covered you had leave It, it was the actions of steve monaghetti that um got the department of education and Uh, education in general to, to realize that if you make an Australian team, we're actually going to give you paid leave to do that. You don't have to take leave without pay. Uh, Now in, uh, I digress a bit here, but in 97, when I made the world championships, that wasn't the case. So for me to go to the world championships, I was looking at three months away from home with no income. uh, And my sponsor skilled engineering through the great work of Kerry Hughes agreed to cover my mortgage payments for the three months that I was away competing. Now, I couldn't have gone in the Australian team if that wasn't the case because we could not afford for me to travel. We could not afford for me to meet those costs of living. So things like that. And um, we talk about disappointment and regrets. Again, that's an example, skilled engineering, where I was extremely fortunate to have bumped into skilled engineering via Kerry Hughes create that relationship but because of that i got more opportunities than most distance runners in this state purely and simply through that sponsorship
0: well like it just it puts so much into perspective doesn't it and we always see the the glossy cover and the amazing story but you don't really hear the background of a lot of those stories and and yep. olympics brings it out obviously and even the olympics brings it out within schools um but a lot of the times you just think again it is all just amazing and everything happens and it's wonderful
1: but uh that's not the case no and the 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 olympics you're seeing the end result you're not seeing the work that's done to get to that point now i i really felt for the athletes this year because they were meant to have the olympics last year um now covert aside most athletes work in Olympiads every four years. So there's people that have dedicated their life to making 2020. There's people mm. that would have missed out because that was their last shot. Um, now put it into perspective, COVID people are dying. So at the end of the day, sports like meh, yeah. but there are people who've made sacrifices and they've missed that opportunity um, because the Olympics were moved one year out. So yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to, see to, to
0: some of the um, – I think swimming and then mm-hmm. even the track events are going to be really interesting because yep. that's such a cyclical game where, you know, team – you need to peak at the right moment and the importance yep. of the taper. And, you know, athletes in those fields, uh, they're thinking about the taper about three years out to get it right. So the fact that yep. they had to potentially do that last year and then go again – I'm yeah, keen to see how swimming so far doesn't seem to be overly impacted from the first couple of days, but um, I think the track will be in, I think there'll be a couple of boil overs that um, yeah. even, you can, you just see people are hanging on because they've had to go again in this last yeah.
1: 12 months. And I think you'll see that with some of the older runners. I mean, the younger guys like uh, Sweeney um, and the, the crew from Melbourne track club, Given the fact that they are absolutely on fire, I think the Olympics is the perfect time for them. Yeah. Um, maybe if they'd been last year, he wasn't quite as on fire last year as he is. I mean, the guy's running twenty-seven thirties. Yeah. He wasn't running that last year, so that's probably worked into his his benefit. But there's there's some older athletes where it's like, oh, far out. You know, last year was that's that's my tough gig.
0: Yeah, and I think you even see it amongst you know marathoners at a let's say local level, but. Because people are in peaking for marathons, they get cancelled. They got to peak again, get cancelled. And yep. the recreational person's the same. You can't continually going, keep going to the mountain. Um, you're just going to have to completely drop off or just have a crack and empty out the tank, really. But you might not yep. get that result.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, 2097 uh, made the world champs. 2000 i qualified and then essentially ran myself out of the team in sydney and and todd was only just todd ingraham actually was only just behind me in that event um and our son at that stage was one year old and then i had to make the decision do i go for another four years because i'm still relatively young in the, the wide scope of things do i go for another four years or do i pull the plug and it was like you know what i don't know if i can do this to my body not so much physically, but mentally for another four years. Cause it's just hard work. And I, I don't think I had it in me now. Is, is that, is there a disappointment from that decision? Yes, there is. Cause maybe I could have done it. Was it a regret? No, it wasn't because it opened other doors and other avenues for me.
0: All right. Well then what are your learnings? Let's say your learnings that are crossed over from your running days into now your, your teaching days and, Yep. You know, people say some people learn resilience from their running and what kind well, of things yeah. do you have you learned that you've crossed over that you're thankful that you learned from your running?
1: Resilience is a big one, that ability to bounce back up because uh, – or sport in general, but running, it, it, it there's more disappointments than there are successes. So you learn pretty quickly. If, if you can't take the knocks as a distance runner, whether you're – recre at, at any level, recreational or not, if you can't take the knocks – it's not the sport for you because there are more times where it's just hard work than, wow, this was really sensational. Um, that being said though, when you do achieve the goal that you've been working towards, that feeling is just absolutely euphoric. Um, and I've seen that. I've seen that at a recreational level where you see the marathoner who's trying to get under three hours and they run two fifty nine fifty nine. 59 saw <laughs> so you. you you know what they've put in to do that. Um, the, the, the elite athlete who wants to run two ten and he or she gets the the 211, 210 you know that feeling where they cross the line. You just that fist pump's not. I've won the event. That fist pump is. My God, I've survived and I actually yeah. achieved my goal. How good is that? Now, it's that fist pump is the I've
0: five done. o'clock Sunday morning wake ups and yeah, yeah, going exactly out in the rain by you yourself. Were.
1: So that's just paid. <laughs> everything I've done. That's a signal to say everything I've done has just paid off. And there it is. So the resilience is a big one. Um, Put back, get out what you put back in. Um, That's, I learned that very quickly in athletics is if if you want to succeed in something, you have to work at it. It's no, one's going to give it to you. Um, There's no such thing. I know again, another cliche, there's no such thing as a free meal. And that is so true in distance running. Um, And if, if you don't spend time on your feet, then you're not going to get the end results. Uh, and i've also learned and this is i take this with me into my role as a as a school leader is you don't succeed by yourself there's a massive amount of people surrounding you now at a recreational level that's your mates and your support crew i i love following guys like um, big kevin at the moment and the the following that he's got because the people around him are just amazing people mm. you watch him in the ultras that's if everyone else drops out, then they all get together to support that one person who's still going, yep. and and he or she succeeds because of everyone, not just because of themselves. Yes, you have to have done the work to got yourself in that position, but then the other people around you help you achieve that. So I had a I had a wonderful coach in Margaret Margaret Saunders. Um, I had a wonderful family support in, in terms of my father um, Barry. My my grandmother was outstanding, a high advocate. I had a doctor who I tr- trusted explicitly in terms of when he told me not to do things i had a great physio that so it's all those people that i put my trust in to get me to where i got to and that's what i realized as a leader in a primary school i'm as successful as the people around me if i fail then the people around me are failing if i succeed it's because the people around me have succeeded so that that's that's probably the main takeaway from running into my career is that need for having a support group
0: and I think the importance of your circle and having that tight circle who actually knows what's going on with you and yep. they can almost pull you back into line. You know, if they can see that you're struggling, you actually just need a break, they'll kind of yep. just be like, mate, have a day off. It's not going to hurt. Um, but then, like you said, they celebrate your successes just as much as you do um, because yeah. they know how much you put into it.
1: And look, and in a group context, particularly again around the running if you succeed that flows through the group and you lift that whole group to another level. We had a, we had an amazing group when I was in, in my, um, In my late teens, uh, there's Greg Sullivan, who was a senior runner, John Hamilton, Alan Thurlow, uh, now doctor, but Mike Bonner, um, Ivan Shatford. I can, the nut, uh, Todd Ingraham came on later because he's obviously much younger than them, but we were running against the senior athletes. So if someone else was running at a higher level and the training picked up, we benefited from that because our training picked up. So you're always feeding off each other. um, And I, I think, in terms of seeing that now I, I see that more at the social level i know, I know raf three front runners doing that i know there's some other groups tony smith's another group that's got that up and running i see that more now but in a more structured type of way whereas before it was it was more serendipitous a group of people um a lot of cross club interaction and everyone fed off each other if mm. if i succeed you succeed if i get better you're going to get better because we're training together
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've always had this hope one day where there could be, you know, I don't know if it's like a midweek kind of challenge thing where the groups come together and you go, okay, we're going to do 8K and your group, my group, everyone's just going to have a hit out on a Wednesday night. And I think that would be great for WA running where it just seems very much the individual pockets. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are groups, but it'd be good if there was like a, an inter club type of hit out once a week that could just yeah the best of the best you could see him smashing around munger on a wednesday night for half an hour and yeah
1: and look that's always existed i think oh and when um even now with the structured groups but we did again we didn't have those structured groups a wednesday night run would start from kings park everyone knew back back in the day when i was was running everyone knew that wednesday we left from behind fraser's um, car park at five o'clock and if you're there you were there and that was your guys from melville from sterling swans from uni they all came and we ran that we did we did a loop of the king's park weaving through we dropped down onto the river and then once you hit the river the hammer went down And it was a race. And then we came back up Anzac Bluff, which you can't do now because that that pathway's gone. That was Wednesday. And then the other time we all got together, regardless of club, was on a Sunday up at, um, not Mount Helena initially, it was up at uh, Jacob um, Jacoby Park. Uh So we'd meet there at seven o'clock in the morning and then all the clubs would go off and we'd run it. And then out of that, it moved towards helena valley and then ultimately out of helena valley came club helena um and there's been some history which is great to see some history built around that um with the younger guys paul Mackay, cameron johnson raff and all that crew really pumping that up troy kelly um pumping that up and building it up
0: all right well uh let's sh- share some stories then mate of uh helena valley um it's kind of been lucky enough to be able to hear a few of them over the last few months but um do you wanna I don't know, pick out a couple of yours and or even, you know, just what a long run was like. You know, you mentioned everyone turning up there on a Sunday, but yeah. um obviously it would have got a bit competitive as well, which was dare say oh, really yeah. good. But yeah.
1: It's um it was competitive, but it wasn't. There were if if you saw someone was struggling, you you tended to guide them and nurture them a bit. Um, If you were having a a good day and you really didn't want to run with them, you'd put the hammer down. So you're always watching for someone's weaknesses, but there was always a point on the return journey where someone laid their cards on the (laughs) table and the group would start to string out. And that's where your pride would sort of pop in. If we, if we were doing Helena Valley where we'd go um, we'd start up at the primary school. Now I know they start up at the shopping center, but we start down at the primary school Mm We'd run down the bitumen and then it would start gravel. We'd cross over the, the river or the yep. creek. Then we'd come up and then jump over a fence, which then got us into the park proper. Mm-hmm. We'd tick along that. Now, the, that was an easy run. We'd loop. We'd usually go out and back. Now, we we loop over and come back on the other side of the pipeline. Yep. But what we called Hamburger Hill was that big drop going out it, it drops down there's a bit of a flat hamburger hill was the one where the hammer went down so someone had started to string out because that's a bastard of a hill um someone had string out and then it was right righty i will see at the end last man standing sort of situation but um there was a chap called troy kelly that's mm-hmm. kelly's climb yep a chap called troy kelly who was a absolute phenomenal mountain runner um him and um phil griffith and troy had this section and what he'd often do was he'd have a pile of bikes and he'd, he'd park the bikes at the top he'd run up the hill up tr- and then he'd ride the bike down and then run up the hill and ride the bike down and run up the hill and ride the bike down so that he didn't have to do the easy downhill he was, and that became a bit of a staple for us guys so it was um, and this actually comes a little bit off falls creek there was a run in Force Creek where everyone was nice and steady until they got to the climb. You had to jump over the aqueduct. Once you were over the aqueduct, it was gloves off. Yeah. Kelly's climb's a bit like that. You run out steady, everyone's comfortable. You go through over the creek. Once you're over the creek, it's gloves off and we'll meet you at the top. Yep. Um, and it's just a shit of a climb. Oh. <laughs> Have you done it? Yeah, yeah. I've done it a few yeah. times, actually. <laughs> over it's, few
0: years, it's such so a it's, staged
1: yeah. hill. I mean, there's yep. a there's a, a really sharp pinch. Uh, and most people make the mistake of hammering that and game over. And then yeah. it dips. And then she goes up again. And it just climbs and it climbs and it climbs. It's, it's just a tough climb. It goes for 12-odd minutes. I think I had what a, a, pe- a
0: four-year hiatus until uh, about... Oh feb march this year i got back into it so yeah
1: it's just hard work but what a lot lot of people don't realize is that's actually small to some of the hills that we used to do out at jacobi park i mean that's that's a on a really really good day that's a 12 and a half minute climb yeah um there was a climb on a really really good good day out at jacobi park that was 18 minutes on a good day um So and you know Kelly's climb. There's a bit of a ladder there. People trying to run 14 minutes, but if you're getting up there in 15 odd minutes, you're doing a good climb. Yeah. So what you're
0: in terms of your best? So like I had a look on Strava, and I think the men's time at the moment is 12:24, and the ladies is 15:23. So yeah, you know, I think I'm around Strava days. So yeah,
1: I think I I I remember um, D. I spoke to D about this. I think I've got a twelve twenty in there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and that's on a good day. We again, we didn't have Strava, so we used to start the watch and stop the watch. But yeah. Yeah. But that 12, 1224 That's that's flying because yeah. it's hard work.
0: And I've heard like, you know, then that would have some of the best of the best would have given it a crack as well. So yeah, you know, to be doing that week in week out, the training, and I suppose a question our notice, but in terms of training out there do you think it really helped your career as well you know getting off the road and on trail and doing hills like that
1: uh not so much that getting off the road i I don't know if there's much of a difference um physically between running on a trail and running on a road other than you feel like you're running on a trail but certainly getting out there on a traffic-free run it's the climbing that make that builds that strength and that endurance um in all honesty, I prefer Jacoby Park to, to Mount Helena because once you've got to the top of Kelly's Climb, it's that long, steady drop down along the Heritage Trail yeah. uh, through Monday. And it's all downhill. Yeah. Whereas Jacoby was constantly undulating, so you're constantly changing your pace. Um, but the importance of getting into the hills and building that strength is absolutely phenomenal. And, and what you tend to find, most most people can run flat and sustain that pace, chuck a few undulations in there, and it's a completely different setting. So if you learn to maintain your pace on a hill climb, you're already six seconds ahead of most people. Um, And something I still do to this day, which was ingrained into me by my coach and by the guys I used to run with, whenever we hit a hill, we increase the pace regardless. Uh, And I do that autumn, even when I'm fat and unfit, I still find myself accelerating on the hill because you know, there's someone in their heads going, Oh hill. And you're going off we go. It's a, it's an automatic response. Accelerate on the hill, run over the top of the hill. Uh, Jim Langford was a, was an absolute gun on that. He didn't, he didn't race to the top of the hill. He raced to a few meters down the hill and most guys stopped at the top of the hill. He went over and kept going.
0: Do you think, it's a bit, it's a bit overcomplicated now. Do you, you know, oh, you know, you, you talk reckon? about <laughs> base of fundamentals. So you know, you pretty much you do your sessions, your long run, get out to the hills. That's you know, that recipe is there, yep. tried and tested. Yeah, like now, well and truly overcomplicated and could be stripped back a lot. Oh,
1: yeah, I, I, I personally, I generally do. I came through an era where you had a stopwatch. You started, if you had a really good one, and I think mine was a Casio. It would remember 50 times. Yeah. Um, and no one was looking at their watches for heart rate. You actually ran how you felt. And I wonder now if, if if people put too much emphasis on the mechanics of the watch, oh, my heart rate's up to, oh, yeah, but how are you feeling? Pretty good. Keep going. Yeah um it's and i you know i go running and I, I get this don't get me wrong i understand there's a science behind it but if you start actually looking at the times that we're running now take out the outliers because the outliers have always been there the times we're running now with all that mechanics and science mm. and the times we were running there ain't a lot of difference and in some cases they're slower i actually think people have forgotten how to run how they feel and i've you know i've gone running with some guys and you look at them and go, mate, is there something I don't know? Are we Are going to run out of food on this run? it's like, yeah. you, want to, you just put on your shirt and you go for a run. What about fueling up? We'll do that when we get back to the car.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I get kind of intrigued when I turn up to a 10K and I see people popping four gels. And, 10K? You know, yeah. It's, yeah. yeah but that, and I think it's purely just um, out of what is out there. You know, yeah. you can just jump on Google and go, how many gels do I need to take? And then you've got a hundred experts who will tell you different opinions. But yeah. like you said, you know, it's even water where, you know, I dare say you guys didn't have a drink from start to finish, or there oh, might've been one tap halfway tap was off, through. <laughs> yeah. If the taps so, are off, wheel, bugged. Yeah. Yeah. Like I heard Deke on an interview um, once saying, you know, he was doing training in summer, doing a three and a half hour long run and have a drink at the start and the end. Um, yeah. But then he knew in, on marathon race day that the water along the way was just there to pretty much kind of keep him um, cool. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. and
1: look again, I get the science. I understand all the science and, and you put your electrolytes back and, and yada, yada, yada. I get all that. But if I taught myself to survive on a two and a half hour, three hour, three hour run with one drink, how much better am I going to run in a race where I can actually get that fluid on. It's about teaching your body. So, my body, an hour and a half, is not looking for a gel, it's yep. looking for itself. And there's a point, yeah, with, but again, have a look at the guys that run. They don't, it's not too often you see them popping a gel. They, they might have, they might have, uh, um, electrolyte drink in terms of gatorade or someone has fizzy coke, but they're not popping gels along the way.
0: Mm. And well, even I, a coke, I think, you know, like that's yeah. the interesting one where yep. you talk to any runner really from even you go back 10 to 20 years ago and like I do it now, if I have a Coke in the last five K's, people look at me and go, what are you doing? And I'm like, what do you mean? This is going to be the quickest and fastest way to get something in me. than you know, paying 10 bucks for whatever is on the shelf at, you know? Um, So it's interesting because keeping it very simple um, can still get you the result you need.
1: Yeah. And I think you're spot on with your initial initial statement. We complicate it. People complicate it. But I, I, social media, the web have a lot to answer for in that space because there's so much information out there, and then people start to doubt what they've done. Um, even I think mean, people go, oh, "What did you? What do you eat before you?" Well, my race food was a ham and pineapple pizza, a coke, and a garlic <laughs> bread. That was my pre-race meal. Why? Because I didn't vomit it up when I ran in the race. I didn't feel bad oh okay is it that simple yeah it is yeah it's that simple i don't feel sick the next day so that's what i'm eating what do you have for breakfast two pieces of toast vegemite a coffee and two sugars and an apple juice yeah. oh and by the way i throw one of the pieces of toast in the bin why because that's what i did a race while well, it doesn't come back that's now a superstition that's like seriously
0: and am i correct in saying in terms of when you last have a drink on race day like a, um and i might be completely off here but you had a time where you'd stop having a drink on race morning because you knew then you wouldn't have to go to the toilet after that Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah
1: so it's i mean the science will tell you it's about if i want fluids in my system it's going to take about 10 minutes for that fluid i take to get into my system mm-hmm. um but then with nerves and everything if you're drinking you're going to go to the toilet so i just stop drinking i'm, I'm hydrated my skin's i don't need any more fluid um, yeah. again it's a 10k race the marathon's different i'm going to have fluids along the way but it's a 10k race i can run i can run for half an hour without a drink I'm pretty sure i can do that yeah. i mean i go all day in here without a drink so and
0: yeah i've actually can like i'm glad that it was actually you because i wasn't sure if it was you or if it was deke who i was uh giving that um knowledge base to but i'm glad that it is actually you because I've i've gone with that same mentality that you know, on race day, at least I don't actually need anything because unless I've hydrated correctly over, you know, the day before prior, then I'll be fine. So, yeah, I'm glad I actually got to the the person (laughs) who definitely said.
1: (laughs) And look, I might rinse my mouth out and things like that, but, you know, there's there's certain rituals we do and that rinsing my mouth was one of them, even though I'm fluid, I don't need it. Bending down 10 seconds before the race, gum went and doing up the shoelaces, (laughs) even though they're already done up. Superstition, that's just what we did or what I did, um, but you, know, you, you build those things in it. But again, most of the stuff I did as from racing was stuff I'd already done at training. I'd yep. experimented at training. The racing wasn't a place where it was going uh, to get complicated things. And, and the guys, the guys that I hung with all did the same stuff, exactly yep. the same stuff. And that's, you know, Steve um Sean Coody, Rod Dehyden, all those boys, Lee Troop. They, they were pretty simple. They ran. That's what yep. they did. They trained and they ran.
0: And uh, ran to time as well. Like I remember Todd sharing a story yep. in his episode where uh, the night before that 2000 trial, you guys, I think had 20 minutes shakeout and you yep. were kind of surprised when um, Mona and um, a couple of the others stopped at 20 minutes, but you guys wanted to round up. So yep. I think that was one of your learnings then to go time is time. And after that, yep. that's it.
1: And Mona's always said, and uh, to, to a degree I was similar, that his watch ruled his life unless his wife was there and then she took precedence, even though the watch, so he didn't tell her that, but yeah, that's two hours. Um, we were up at Falls Creek one year um, and I'm looking out the window and Steve's come back and he's run. I'm said to Tanya, his wife, what's he doing? She goes, I, oh, he would, he's gone out for two and a half, but the watch isn't at two and a half yet. So he's running. He's running for the time. <laughs> and that's, It's like, mate, it's a 32 K if you've done it, 10 minutes quicker it's still 32k but i'm I'm, that's rubbed off on me i do that now i'll go for a i'll go for a 10 2k run and i know that it's 2k to the gate but the watch (laughs) hasn't said it so we'll keep going till the watch (laughs) ticks over at 2k Uh, we're fickle creatures aren't we really oh yeah superstitious erwin uh
0: in terms of coaching so you've dabbled a a fair bit so you i'm pretty sure you actually coached a state marathon champ 2017 um yeah stewie caulfield what a legend and, uh, a fair bit across school cross country as well. So yeah, what's that, or what was that experience like? And did it teach you anything about yourself that you weren't aware of?
1: Um, yeah, I think I learned to be a bit more patient as a coach. I, I think coaching was much harder than being an athlete because you're responsible for someone outside of yourself. But that, uh, the other hardest thing about coaching, I think is you can't instill your work ethic on someone else. Um, I was very fortunate though. Like Stewie Caulfield, he was just an absolute dead set legend in, in what he had to do. Um, and he did it. Raph bore I, I coached and guided. Um, and I tend to use the word guided more so than coached. Raf was one of those people. And I've said this to Raf, so I don't mind saying it on, on air. He was almost uncoachable. He was just hard work. If I said do two, he'd do three. If I said do three, he'd do two um todd ingraham i helped him along the way he todd's got an amazing work ethic i mean still going um he was an amazing amazing guy to be a part of and there's a a few other guys that i've supported and girls that i've supported along the way but as a general rule most of the people that have come to help or ask for guidance or assistance in some way they've all got that work ethic there in the first place because i'm pretty out there. i'll tell you what to do it's it's a guide you know, but if you don't put the work in, if you've missed four weeks, don't don't expect the results because it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. But everyone who's got involved or or asked for help or wanted some ideas to bounce off, they've all got amazing work ethics. But I have learned patience, mate. That's the toughest bit. It's like far out.
0: Yeah, uh, and not everyone. But you loves- get a
1: lot of joy. I love seeing people succeed. That's just like, oh, how good is that? I know what that feeling's like.
0: Yeah, and not everybody loves it the way that you do. You know, for some people your run is your run once it stops that's it and you know others want to talk about their run for the next five hours and it's such a change where yeah everybody is so different in this game that um i think that's probably one of the hard things as well to kind of know when to shut off with an individual because they want to go for a surf for the rest of the day whereas others want to speak five hours to you about the run that they just did um
1: And look, there's some guy Stewie call If I go to Stewie Corfield, he was an easy one. It's like, mate, let's keep this real simple. If it was a bad run, can we take anything away from it? No, nah, fine, chuck it in the bin, forget about it.
0: Yeah. And he he was
1: one in golf surfing. Um, but as, okay, what's a that was a great race? Why? Did, right, let's take that and try and carry that into the next run. So it was more about taking a learning rather than ripping the race apart. I mean, yeah. everyone has a race, and there's element elements of it where you go shit. I know why that went wrong. Let's not make that mistake again. Mm. Um, and there's those, those races where they're just bad. And well, what's come? Nothing. I just want to forget it. Fine. Let's leave it. Walk away from it. A couple That's more to go,
0: mate, and I'll uh, let you go and get into the storm on the way home. But uh, state of the game. Well, um, what's your opinion or thoughts on what it's like and any kind of improvements that can be made
1: in terms of it? Oh, yeah, it would be really be good. I think there's still a lot of. Um, intrastate competition uh, we're not a big state uh, we have what i would deem to be possibly some of the best training venues in australia uh, our weather wise yeah it's a bit hot in summer but weather wise if you, you get it right we've got perfect training here what i'd really love to see um being the state that we are is one genuine marathon we we don't we're not a big enough state to have multiple marathons um the perth city to surf, i think was on track but in terms of a fast marathon, the City to Surf Marathon is not going to be a fast yeah. marathon. The West Australian Marathon Club's marathon is a gun course, has an, and was a gun course. I would love to see us pitching for a world championship or an Australian championship. Yeah. I don't think we put our hand up enough. I mean, I'm not in the political arena there to understand all the to's and from's. Mm. But we do have a really good climate now for, um, for distance running in terms of road races that we could offer here you've seen a few more come over now that we've got the ideal track at perry lakes yeah the way that, that that's changed. everyone wants to come over and run we've got the lights. so the conditions at, at perry lakes of an evening are just outstanding for distance running i'd like to see that sort of thing happen in in western australia for our marathon for our 10 and 15k we haven't had them for a while but it would take a lot of groups to work well together mm. um I, look at the, I looked at the state championships and not taking anything away from those guys that ran it. The fields are just getting smaller and smaller, yep. um, which is disappointing because we've got some great guys there. Uh, but I think if we combine some of the events and we, and a number of years ago, and I'm talking a number of years ago, those events, those state championships were part of the 10 K run that the marathon club did. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying give it to the marathon club. That's not what I'm saying, but you're a state champion and you're running in a field of a thousand or 2000 people. That's got to be better than running in a field of 10, 15 or 20 people. And there would be some guys in that field of a thousand who are really good runners and they choose not to run in the state championships, but you get to be a state champion. You you get to run against everyone that's there. And uh, the city to surf, for example, that was for us, that was the unofficial state road championship. Everyone ran that race. So if you won that event, you were the state champion in everyone's mind. Um, And, and I just don't think we've, I just, I think we've lost a bit of that. I don't know. And you know, when Um, it
0: was as well, you know, when I know that there's a lot of uncertainty now with what's going on, but you still knew when that date was always going to be, it was always the last, last Sunday in August. And that's the way that it rolled. And, and I think it would draw people from interstate and even overseas because they knew they can, they could say, well, the best of WA are going to be there. They're going to put up a decent check. So I'm coming over too. Um, Whereas I think because it's so fluid now, it's very much just a West Australian event, regardless of whenever it it happens. Um, And like you said, you know, in terms of course, weather-wise, we're almost guaranteed an amazing day. If you, you know, you're putting on something around August, October-ish around there, you're pretty much guaranteed perfect conditions and yeah yeah i agree with you that that pitch and if you don't ask you don't get right
1: it's that's exactly uh, right so and and, and take for example uh stepping out of distance running the avon descent the avon descent happens in august now it used to be the end of july it's august because this is the weather we've got Mm. which is great they need the water in the we can do a similar thing with distance running we Give or take the freak days, you pretty much know what the weather's going to be like. We could nail down and go. This is the event, and it would be an absolute humdinger. Um, the Bernie, the Bernie ten k was a beautiful race in in Tasmania, in Bernie. Everyone would go to because it was the race to go to. I looked down at our foreshore down there, Esplanade foreshore, up. And back yeah what sort of race could we run we got some amazing roads along that foreshore i know you know someone would complain because they couldn't get to their post box that morning i've always thought riverside got-
0: drive would be an unreal road circuit oh you know a friday night after work people could go down and you know six seven o'clock on a summer's night it would start to cool down and have yep. recreational 10ks all the way to an elite field that would start yep. at eight thirty, and it doesn't It involves everybody um get some yeah. food trucks some drinks down there and i know these are just yep. ideas and someone has to still go and do it but that's how <laughs> you you get the sport in front of kids you know we get it in front yep. of them every four years but to get somebody sitting in a classroom next year and go oh i heard this race was on friday i went down with my parents and now i want to get into little athletics that's yep. how you do it because otherwise you're going to come last to
1: cricket football soccer rugby that's yeah you're just in a no-win situation. And if if you look at all those sports that have been successful, take the Ironman. When we had the the, the NutriGrain series and that, how big Ironman got, and then we had the um, the triathlon and the short course triathlon and how that became attractive. There's no reason why we couldn't do a similar thing. And a number of years ago, um, the Rural Life Half Marathon was probably one of the closest events we came to that, where they ran a marathon, half marathon in every state. And then WA actually was a state finalist, a state, um, we held the finals over here. And you're getting to see some of the best in Australia, Monaghetti ran, Adam Hoyle, Tanya Ruckel, the best in Australia are running these events and they were on our doorstep. It was fantastic. Yeah.
0: And they follow each other, you know, like you you get one and they go, well, I want to go over there because he's going. So yep. it's I know that it comes down to money a lot of the times, but a lot of the times with the top guys, it also comes down to ego. You know, if, yeah. if the big dog's going over, well, I want to go take him on.
1: Um, so yeah you yeah. spot on. I mean, um, Raf Bohr did an amazing job with the Leonora mile, which is still going. That was built on a dream to bring the best in Australia and he succeeded in doing that. He got a community on board, the mines got in on board and they've done an outstanding job with that mile race. There's no reason why that can't be replicated. Um, and I, I said earlier, one of my biggest advantages was I had a sponsor so I could afford to travel where other guys couldn't. The Eastern States tend not to like to come to us because you've got Melbourne, Victoria, ACT, they're all... Uh, melbourne and victoria the same thing idiot new south wales victoria and act they're all fairly close together so they had the top guys essentially competing against each other every weekend mm. we had western australia it's a five-hour journey to get over here yep. uh, and it's not a cheap exercise it's cheaper for us to go to bali than it is for us to go to, yeah. to, to yeah. victorian cases
0: yeah and but you know you mentioned indonesia but asia's riding our doorstep so yep. you start putting something on you're going to get interest there and people are going to want to come across yep. so yeah, but just pipe dreams, mate, and throwing ideas out, I oh, suppose. No, you
1: throw it out there and it might stick eventually.
0: <laughs> uh, to finish off, I normally ask um, the guest any advice for their younger self. What would it be?
1: My simple advice would be don't stop. That would be my simple advice. Uh, my old man used to say it to me, mate, don't stop. Just keep doing it. And I never understood what he said until I stopped and then tried to get back into it. It's amazing. Um, you just become used to doing something, and when you stop and get out of that habit, it's so hard to get back into it. And youth is something that's wasted on on the young. Yeah. <laughs> I wished. I wished I knew what I knew now back then, because I think I probably would have pushed a little bit harder and done a few more things differently. But don't stop is the thing that I give myself. And I'd say, you know, keep chasing your dream. Maybe I should have pushed on for another four years and seen what happened um at the end of the day i've essentially pulled the pin competitively as about a 36 37 year old Uh maybe i should have gone on but don't stop enjoy what you've got while you've got it and 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 get the best out of yourself because you only get one shot at being young
0: awesome well some great advice mate and i really appreciate the chat and thoroughly enjoyed it i think people really love listening to it so uh thanks on behalf (laughs) of all of them and yeah, it was uh, good to get a bit of a background on you and even some of WA history as well.
1: Ah, oh, you're more than welcome. I look forward to following on Insta. That's how yes. I'll stay in touch with the planet now. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, mate. You take care. This episode of the Stimulate Run podcast is brought to you in partnership with Aqualite. Aqualite is a product which supports effective hydration through rapid absorption. It's formulated to replace electrolytes lost through sweat and is Australian owned and operated.